This is episode 40 of the Higher Christian Life broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. Yesterday, we talked about our need to discover the wisdom of God, especially as we strive for the higher Christian life, and especially as we see our world getting darker and darker. And as we know, God's book of wisdom in His Word is the book of Proverbs. So before we jump into the Proverbs, we first have to set some ground rules on what constitutes a Bible study and what tools we may need to glean the treasures of His Word that are often hidden just right below the surface. And that's what we will discuss today. We will learn the importance of determining what a passage in Scripture says, and then, of course, what it means. After all, Bible study is not a sprint, but a marathon, as is our own spiritual life as we strive to grow closer to Him and experience the higher Christian life. So let's jump right in, shall we? Yesterday, we talked about how Christians are supposed to respond, and his church is supposed to respond during dark times we see encroaching all around us. And since yesterday, the times around us have got even darker. What are we to do? How are we to think and feel? What's God's will in all of this? And we talked yesterday about the importance of us understanding and being able to acquire God's wisdom. And his wisdom is found in the book of Proverbs, which is like God's book of wisdom he gave us in his scripture. And so we shared yesterday that we're going to begin looking at Proverbs, breaking it down, trying to understand it, and teaching us how to glean God's wisdom during these dark times. But before we actually begin to look at the Proverbs to glean the wisdom of God, we first need to remind ourselves what Bible study entails and how to go about mining the depths of God's Word for the treasure that is there, which is often buried just below the surface. It takes a little work on our part to get beyond the Sunday school lesson and to find out exactly what God is saying. Remember, We're committing ourselves to Bible study, keyword Bible study, in order to experience God and His wisdom. We're not committing ourselves to Bible skimming or even Bible reading. Now, Bible reading may have their place in our spiritual lives, but not at this point in time, not when we're trying to strive to have a deeper intimacy with the Lord and to experience this higher Christian life. Bible study is not a sprint. It is not something we rush through to get it done. We don't begin the goal of our Bible study with saying, how much can I get done in the least amount of time so I can cross this off my to-do list, not feel guilty anymore, and then move on to something more important, something more exciting, something that I want to do. That attitude is a recipe for failure, for frustration, and it will stagnate your Christian life. Hence, we're trying to move beyond that stagnation. We're trying to move into the area of a new intimacy with Him. We're trying to experience the higher Christian life. And plus, that attitude about God's Word is an incredible slight to Him. We don't want to be doing that. No, Bible study is not a sprint. Bible study is a marathon. It's a lifelong endeavor that produces a mature believer, as it says in 2 Timothy 3.17, who is thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
and it takes time, as all things of value do. Proper Bible study is like the difference between going to a really fine restaurant with the people that you love, with close friends, or woofing down a happy meal sitting in your car in a food lion parking lot alone. I mean, both of those meet your hunger needs, but only one is a deeply satisfying, pleasurable experience, which is exactly what Bible study should be all about. Now, there are a few things that we need to know about any passage of Scripture that we're going to study, especially if our goal is to have the Lord speak to us about something in our lives through His Word. And here are the two main things. The first is this. We need to know exactly what the passage says what each word means, not in just our language today, but what it meant to those to whom it was written so many centuries ago. After all, language changes, and what something meant in English, oh, 75 years ago may not mean the same thing today. Think about two or 3,000 years ago. For example, before the 60s, when someone said, cool, man, or hey, that's cool, it always was in reference to temperature. Always. But that changed over time. So that now when we hear the statement, hey, cool, we never think about it as how cold it is outside or how many more ice cubes I need to put in my drink. The main definition of the word cool has changed. Or in the time before World War II, the phrase gay had nothing to do with sexual orientation. Instead, it referred to an attitude of cheerfulness or lighthearted excitement of being carefree. So in the 1934 Fred Astaire and Ginger Roger musical called The Gay Divorcee, when we see that today, we think it has something to do with the sexual orientation of either party. And it's like, oh, now I know why they got divorced. But it had nothing to do with someone being gay as we define it today. And this is how words can mean something different over time. It works exactly the same way with Scripture. So understanding this, we need to know what a passage says when it was written, in the culture in which it was written, and to the people for whom it was written. That's why if you're going to study the Bible, you must have a Greek and Hebrew word study dictionary. It is vital, but we're going to talk about that in just a moment. First, we understand what a passage says. Once we've got that down, which involves some study, then we need to determine what it means. And this is where the marathon part of the Bible study comes in, because sometimes passages are really easy to interpret. Sometimes they take some time. Sometimes they take some serious digging to figure out exactly what they mean. So the rule is simply this. We do not move on to another passage until we fully understand what our current passage means. Let that sink in. You don't move on. You don't skip ahead until we know exactly what the passage is we're looking at today means, even if it means we look at it tomorrow and the next day and the next day. There's none of this, well, I'll come back to it later because we never do. And biblical truth builds on top of each other. And if we skip this and don't even know what the foundation is, then we move forward, we find out we maybe have a faulty conclusion because we never figured out what the foundation was. Our task in Bible study is to stop. Stop. Just take a deep breath and relax. 
and then prayerfully meditate on the passage. Use whatever resources I have available to help me in my understanding, and we're going to talk about those in just a minute. Then I want to ask the Lord to reveal his meaning to us. There's a purpose why I'm studying this passage. There's a purpose why you put this in your Bible. What are you trying to communicate? What is the truth here? What can I learn about you? And then wait, study and wait until we discover that hidden treasure of truth before we ever move on to something else, no matter how long it takes. Well, that may take a long time to finish my Bible study. You're never finished with your Bible study, never. And the goal is to figure out what God is trying to say before we jump to something else. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. I mean, think, let's say we spent an hour in God's word reading three chapters and got nothing out of it. I mean, we've wasted our time. We've wasted God's time and we've killed our expectation about this being God-breathed and inspired and profitable for everything. But if we spent the same amount of time, for example, on one verse, just one verse or half a verse or a phrase, or I've even spent it on a word, and God reveals through that word his will to us, reveals something new to us, we have like an aha moment, then we're encouraged, we're enlightened, we're changed, and we're growing in the likeness of his son, and our lives are forever transformed by his word far more beneficial than going through some agenda to read it as quickly as we can to move on to something else. Remember, it's a marathon that builds endurance, not a sprint. Marathons last for miles and sprints much shorter than that. So let me go ahead and close today by just giving you a few pointers that'll hopefully get you in the right direction and get you motivated to help you in your Bible study. One, when you're looking at a passage, stop and slowly read the passage several times out loud and emphasize each word and phrase as you do. Now, you're not only reading it in your mind, but you're also speaking it and hearing it at the same time. You're bringing in three senses instead of just one. It makes a profound effect. And emphasize each word. Make it the centerpiece of the verse so you can see exactly what it's saying and begin to feel and experience that passage. Number two, ask questions about the text. Stop what you're doing. Write these down. Who, what, where, how come, how long, for what purpose, why is this here? And try to ask those questions because you'll find in many passages, usually in most passages, the very questions that you ask will be answered in the text that follows. So ask questions of the text so that as you're studying it, you'll get every one of those questions answered and fully understand what it says. Number three, Ask the Lord to show you why he led you to this part of his word today. Ask him. There's a reason why you're studying Leviticus chapter 7. There's a reason why you're going through all the names in the books of Numbers. There's a reason why you're at the Sermon on the Mount. What is he trying to show you? What does he want to reveal to you? Lord, show me why I'm here. I'm open. I'm asking Please show me your will, and I promise you, he will. Number four, spend some time studying each word. You usually have to do this to figure out what it says. What do they mean in the Greek? 
What do they mean in the Hebrew? Is their meaning different than what I assumed they mean today? Has the language changed over time? And let me give you a little hint. As you're studying these words, look for the small words, because the small words is what changes everything. Words like all, any, if, then, no, but, therefore, stuff of that nature. They're, those are the kind of words that literally will change your understanding of the character and nature of God. Does that seem a bold promise? Try it out for yourself and see. Number five, now I've read this, what are the implications of what I just read? Why did God lead me to this passage? How can I apply this in my life and my actions and my attitudes, the truth that I'm learning about him? Is this truth further explained in, in verses that follow? Does he amplify that? Does he build on that? You'll find in the New Testament, especially in the letters of Paul, that there's a statement made, built on in the next statement, in the next statement, and then we move on to something else. It just adds more foliage to like a stick tree. It's unbelievable when you get into it. Number six, and this is where it gets exciting. Spend some time looking for other passages that will further explain and support what the Lord is saying in the passage you are studying. In other words, is this just a truth here? Or does this truth, this principle, this picture of God flow through all the scripture? And if so, where? Where is somebody else suffering the same thing I'm reading about here? How did they persevere? How did they stand? What does that look like? What is God trying to show me? Number seven, what principles or truths can I learn, not for my sake, but about God? What is he showing me about himself? Let me give you a hint. Make this about him and not about you. Is he showing you something about his character and his nature and what you're studying? Does it draw you closer to him? Do you know him better? Number eight, finally, Ask God to show you how to live in the truth he's just revealed. And this is where your faith grows. And this is where it gets personal. And this is where most Christians fail. Ask him, Lord, will you place me in a situation, I don't care how difficult it is, where my faith in the truth you just revealed to me will be tested. Because he promises us that the testing of our faith produces patience. That's in the book of James. And that word patience means endurance, the ability to withstand hardship or stress. You notice what we just did? We just did a very small word study. And the word patience in the English actually means endurance and the ability to withstand hardship or stress. Remember, Bible study is not a sprint, but a marathon. Lastly, let me just leave these with you. You'll need some resources to help you with your Bible study. I want to suggest just a few. You need a Bible. You need a good Bible. All translations are not the same, no matter how easy or difficult they are to read. It's not about you reading easily. It's about it being accurately translated. And I have found over all my years in the ministry is the best is the New King James Version. And the best study Bible out there is the MacArthur Study Bible, New King James. The notes in the MacArthur Study Bible will be invaluable to you as you try to learn more about what the scriptures say. Then you're going to need a Greek and Hebrew word study dictionary. And you're going to need that because 
You need to figure out exactly what the Greek and Hebrew words say. Yes, I can go on Blue Letter Bible and get kind of a fifth grade definition, but if you want to go a little bit deeper, the Complete Word Study Dictionary of the New Testament and the Old Testament is exactly what you need. I've got the links at the bottom of this so you can know exactly which one we're talking about. When it comes to Bible commentary, I would suggest you don't use a current one. Uh, the teaching today is so intertwined in the DNA of the Laodicean church age, it's better to use one in the latter part of the last century, such as the pulpit commentary or Spurgeon's notes and sermons, the kind of a glimpse of what life was like in the Philadelphia church age. If you're confused about that, that's from the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, and I'll provide a link so you can find the teaching on that. However, if you're just looking for something more contemporary, you want something a little less ancient, then any commentary by John MacArthur or James Montgomery Boyce would be wonderful, or any of the writings of A.W. Pink. A.W. Pink is an insightful man, and I cannot recommend him enough. What you don't want to do is do a random Google search for the meaning of a particular passage, because there's so much truth and there's so much deception online about everything, and your source matters. And online, you have no idea what the source is, so try to avoid that. But if you do want to go online and you want to find some reputable sites, let me just give you a couple. There's Blue Letter Bible blueletterbible.org. There's Got Questions, which is a wonderful site to answer some biblical questions you may have. That is gotquestions.org. There's CARM, C-A-R-M.org, and it's an apologetic site. It stands for Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry, and it's a great site to, to find information about troubling questions you may have. There's, of course, John MacArthur's teaching ministry, gracetoyou.org, gty.org. And finally, the ministry of Chuck Missler, Love Chuck Missler. It's khouse.org, and there you can find for free his Bible teaching on every single book of the Bible. It's a wonderful review. So enjoy your time with him as you begin your Bible study, and tomorrow we're going to be doing exactly what I just described to you, beginning in the book of Proverbs, looking at the verse from a Bible study, exegetical, devotional, applicational sort of way to glean God's wisdom, and we're going to be doing that together. I'm looking forward to it. So until then.